it's uh, 6.56 p.m. on a Wednesday night. It is Rabbit Hole Wednesday, boy. We're going down a rabbit hole tonight. We've got some great guests that are going to be joining us. People have been asking where the Zells have been. Frank and Jim, well, they're out there. We talk all the time. And um, we had some things that we wanted to talk about in, uh, you know, a- along the the way this year. This is a good way of kicking it all off. Now, earlier on this year, earlier on in the year, I think it was probably at the end of January, the FBI, you know how the FBI has their their vaults, their vault releases on Twitter and all that? Well, they published some interesting files on controversial figures from time to time, as we know, and topics. And one of the more notable things that they did this year was releasing a few files on Danny Casolaro, who's an investigative journalist. And um, he came to identify a hidden system of power, technocratic power system with unlimited surveillance capability, the entity that he came to, uh, to dub the octopus. The octopus is a... It's an image, it's, a, it's a, a, a creature, a sigil that has been adopted by many, many um, nefarious groups that seek to control the world. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight. I want to read an article that Nick Redfern had put out about the Danny Castellaro drop that I got in touch with the Zells and I said, hey, I'm going to read this on air sometime soon and do a deep dive kind of a night. I'd love for you guys to come on and talk a little bit about this. Not necessarily just even octopus, but promise. Uh, we're talking. We're talking Maxwell. We're we're going into we're going into everything through this portal over here, and I think it's um it's a good way to kick off a rabbit hole Wednesday because as you know, after we conclude over here at nine o'clock, the after hours programming on Quite Frankly TV picks up where we left off and jumps down several other rabbit holes. And the bigger reason, aside from that this is just a really good story in and of itself, but I only ever knew about Danny Castellaro from when Frank and Jim introduced us to them, dropping name drops years ago when they first started calling in. So when I saw this, I said, okay, well, it's good to do a little bit of a, uh, a swing around on this because there's just so much. There's so much that's going to come of it, and we're always talking about the surveillance, the surveillance state, the blackmail state, the the mortar that really holds the universe together, the known universe together over here, and that's what we're going to be doing. So uh, you can go and check out Frank and Jim's work on inthezeller.com. I put the link inside of the description of this episode. So that's what we're that's what we're going to do. We always talk about scandalous topics with the Zells. Tonight will be no different. All right, so a little bit of a a uh, a two-sided plug for our sponsors tonight. I wanted to very specifically shout out Wise Wolf Gold and Silver and Blue Monster Prep. Uh, they're just saying. I don't know what else anybody out there needs to uh, see happen in the world. Whether it be in Europe, whether it be in what we would think is uh, our, our safe, insulated places like far inward toward middle America in garnet red states like Ohio. But of course, we know that things can happen anywhere and they will happen everywhere. So 
Make sure that you've got your mind clear of at least a couple of things. Supplies for all different types of situations from first aid to food. I mean, just a couple of sleeves of food to make sure that you have a couple of days to get on the road to somewhere else. Whatever it is, get your go bag together, okay? You don't have to go spending tens of thousands of dollars on things. Just get a go bag together for everybody in your house so that you have about a week of supplies. You got yourself a life straw, something like that. Go to bluemonsterprep.com. Use promo code FRANKLY for all of your delivery fees getting taken off the top. And also go to Wise Wolf Gold and Silver. All those links are right there. I think it's quitefrankly.gold. All those links are on the affiliates page on quitefrankly.tv. So do a little bit of prepping, both financially and everything else. Not bad. Not bad things to do. We're talking about ancient stores of value when you talk about gold and silver in particular. So not reinventing the wheel there. That's all I'm going to say on that. All right. Tomorrow night is going to be another great show. We're going to be talking about the controversial science of physiognomy. How you can judge a person's character by their facial features. I wonder if it's like reading a palm. Another controversial science. And then on Friday night, it looks like I am going to be on air on March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. Because it looks like it looks like I am going to have Matt and trying again with my buddy Koss. I think they're both going to be here on Friday night, and I have got some doozies of stories, including the two Jussie Smollett Nigerian brothers who were hired to beat him up. They have gone on Fox, and they went into the streets of Chicago to recreate the play-by-play. It's incredible. It's incredible. There's that. I've got so many other things that I have set aside just for Friday night, which is lighthearted, funny. I also have a few other things here, too, that i got to show you. I've got three threads now, and I have a fourth, a big fourth one that I'm going to be putting up on the quitefrankly.tv forum. So go to the forum, see all the show threads that I have stuck to the top of the forum. Here's the first one. I told you about it about a week or so ago. Memories from the county fair. I'm looking for you guys and gals to go on and get nostalgic with me on quitefrankly.tv, jump into this one. We're building a summertime nostalgia thread for this. So shower us with stories and remembrances of summer days and nights at county fairs and carnivals. What weird, possible, dangerous rides do you remember? Memories of strange contests like pie-eating contests or husband-calling contests. Uh, first dates, fistfights, miracles. Last summer before college, douse me with memories of special foods, music, smells, and people from simpler times. So that's what I want. We'll probably take that out around June or early July, whatever. The next one up is the greatest and worst concert experiences you've ever had. That's pretty self-explanatory, but I have some really good nuanced things that I'm looking for in a description. We already have almost, almost four pages worth of responses for this one. That will be an entire two hours probably a Friday night where we talk about music and life and all that. It's going to be a good one. Uh, And then the last one I just put up today. Have you ever had anything strange removed from your body? Okay. Um, We were talking about parasitic twin stories like Joey Ramone. He had a parasitic twin growing out of his back. So they have to do that. I talked to you. We'll get into this one, but this is going to be interesting because we already have one two, three, 
really great entries to this. One of them is a parasitic twin story. One in which I think a person's personality changed. The personality changed after they removed the twin. So it doesn't have to be a twin, like I said over here. I don't care if it's a twin, a leech, a tapeworm, an earwig, a five-pound skin tag, or a synthetic implant from an alien abduction. Leave us with some stories below. That is over there on the top of quitefrankly.tv. The fourth and bigger topic out of all of these, I'm trying to formulate the, the, what I'm actually, what the best thing I'm trying to ask to kick it off, and that is women in politics. I don't know if it is a women in politics story. King kicked it off last night. It's something I've been wanting to bring up. And, of course, from that one call that I got from King, I was, I, I was flooded with emails, most of them women, agreeing with King, which, which just happens far too, too often for, for me to count. Um, so I have to find the right question because I know from there it's going to go everywhere. So I can't control that, and it's better that conversations do that from time to time. But that's the next one. So keep remember, it's free to be on that forum. It is not attached to any so uh, you know politically compromised social network like Reddit. So there should be no inhibitions for you to go and sign up and just monitor the the forum, contribute to other threads, start your own. Uh, so that that's that's great. That's all I wanted to say. We have really good topics building all right all right so let's go into the grab bag shall we first one up first one up is from the gateway pundit headline friendly cnn reporter a person close to fetterman that is uh, john fetterman the senator a person close to him says that he could be out of the hospital in two weeks claims a doctor told him that he will be quote as good or better than his best days post-stroke. So, if that ain't a nice way of saying uh, he's doing the best he can with what he has left, then I don't know what is. What the hell kind of a statement is that? What the hell kind of a statement is that? So, just for those of you in in, uh, Pennsylvania who are wondering what's going on with your senator, there you have it. He, it's he's as good or as better than his best days post-stroke. So he's he's going to be at least as good as what we saw of him in October in those forced debates where he just made a he made everybody in the in the country very uncomfortable watching. Let's say that. So he's at least as good as that. All right, Antifa. Did you hear about this one? Antifa at UC Davis was protesting Charlie Kirk showing up and having his presence on campus and they were breaking they were pushing back campus security and police breaking windows take a look at this so here they are they're all now they're all retreating and they're up against the windows of the doors and immediately Immediately, immediately they're kicking out the windows. And, and, and the cops, whoa, 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 whoa. I guess that, that's the new alarm. That's the new uh, police siren over there in, in California. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
there you go. There you have it. There you have it. Now, the problem here, I believe, is that they have not been dealt with as severely as they need to be. Um, they have been made to feel these lanky losers with their, their hollow bird bones. They've been made to feel like they're giants over the last couple of years because nobody will touch them. If the cops would take out the billy clubs once in a while and, and smash some kneecaps, then who the hell knows how much of this would be tolerated or how much of this would happen, I should say. Uh, but then, you know, we'll have a whole different set of problems. But that's Antifa at UC Davis protesting Charlie Kirk uh, just being there. And when I say Antifa, I mean students and teachers at UC Davis, which is probably why the police and security guards don't give these violent animals the beating that they deserve. Because, you know, when half of your classmates show up with Gumby heads for class the next day, it'd be pretty obvious what they were up to. Although they probably don't care because getting arrested for protesting free speech is probably as good as extra credit at these schools with most of their weather underground teachers. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if most of the startups that SVB was funding had some sort of a getting arrested protesting free speech um, prerequisites for getting hired or for attaining funding. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So, um, speaking of SVB, though, I thought this was really, really awesome. And the whole neoliberal scourge, SVB and the neolib scourge. Here's something for you, whether it's a bank collapse because of multiplying imaginary money supply, largely non-physical, non-physical money, and laundered through batshit crazy startups, including crypto exchanges through proxy war zones in Eastern Europe, or if it's the government, it's the government backing loans so that every child in the world can come and get their brain scrambled by liberal sociology professors on American campuses, whatever it is, so-called capitalism is always blamed when things go sour. All right? That and white people. But capitalism, late-phase capitalism, we talked about that a little bit last night. And I talked a little bit about that this morning with Tracy on the morning show on the Uncovered DC uh, Rumble channel. This was pretty beautiful. Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank showed up on CNN and explained in very simple ways how we don't have anything that even resembles a free market. So how this could be blamed, our woes can be blamed on the free market, a.k.a. capitalism, is kind of ridiculous. I want you to take a, take a, take a listen to this if you're in podcast land, and if you're with me physically, then let's watch it. And here's the one thing that nobody saw coming, and this is the competition of states. I don't put companies here in New York anymore or in Massachusetts, or in New Jersey, or in California. Those states are uninvestable. The policy here is insane. The taxes are too high. We put them in Fargo, North Dakota, mm. because 40% of the people work elsewhere, including Boston. So I was you know, a, a bit of a debate with Elizabeth Warren about this, but I say, look, Senator, we've got to move the companies out of your state because you're not investable anymore. You're punishing people if they're successful. You overtax them. You hit them with a super tax. New Jersey, what a mess. New York, uninvestable. And Wait, California. why is New York uninvestable? Try and do a project in New York. Try and build but, a yeah, data. Yeah, I'm asking, Don's point, is it beyond the taxes? Oh, the regulatory environment is punitive. I had a project in upstate New York behind the grid in Niagara Falls for electricity, a global data center we were building. 
eventually it got so bad with the, the politicians in the local region and the state policy, we moved it to Norway and all the jobs. Wow. Norway has it now. Thousands of jobs coming out of that. I mean, that is, that's New York. Uninvestable. Sorry, don't shoot the messenger. Just telling you the way it is. Yeah, that's it. Uninvestable. Some pushback from our, our elected officials in New York I on that. I was going to say Kathy Hochul. Yeah. They can push back all they want. They're losers. They're losers. They're unqualified to hold these offices as it is. And the office should not be in any way, shape, or form uh, ha- have the responsibility to go out and micromanage people's businesses or, or pilfer and plunder people's businesses and their, their life's work because you want to be able to go out and bribe people and get people dependent on any kind of in-state and out-of-state program that you want to uh, enter them into and, and slush the money around like gods. I'll debate them any time of the day you want. Uh, we would love to set that up. AOC, she's great at killing jobs. She kills jobs by the thousands. You know, another New Jersey problem. Where did Amazon take their jobs? They took them away from her. She threatened to sue them if they created jobs. I mean, this is a reality. This is a reality that... The There's a little more to it, but let's not relitigate well, that. Well, you know, sorry. I'm just telling the truth. There's a little more to it. Yeah. Okay, go, go, go ahead. You tell us a little more. I'm sure you can lay it all out for us there, Girl Scout. So she, I, I, you can see it, it's very, it's, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable thing. It's an uncomfortable thing, but at least they're letting it happen. And it's, it's awesome that O'Leary just, is just throwing it out there. He's, he's saying what a lot of people are saying, especially what happened with that Amazon thing here in New York. Just real quickly, I don't want to hug the conversation, but what, what was Elizabeth Warren's response when you said that to her? Look, I have a lot of respect for her because it's okay to have a debate about politics, but not policy. When you have punitive policy, you're making a mistake. And I want to just put up my hand and say, I don't agree, Senator, with your policy. I respect you as a politician, a very successful one. You know, she's very successful. And that's the state where I grew my kids. I mean, our family grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. We left there to move to Florida like everybody else is because it's such a tough place to... You know, this is a tough message. People really are critical about this, but somebody has to call it out because... This is a competition of states now, and we don't put money there anymore. We put it in other places, and jobs are created elsewhere. Over time, this is going to diminish New Jersey, diminish New York, diminish Massachusetts, and California, out of business. Out of business. El Morte. No business there. You can't do business there. I don't know what that place is going to turn into. Maybe a tourist zone, but no business. That the, the blonde is not even looking at him. Like if, if she can, if she could be smoking a cigarette right now and just staring off and 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 waiting until the segment uh, clock winds down, she would. She's not even looking at him. And and it's true. It's supposed to be a competition of states. That's the whole thing here. It's supposed to be a competition of states, just like it should be a competition of nations. And we were set up. We were set up so that states would compete. And, and would, would uh, deal with themselves as good neighbors, as nation states would be good neighbors. That's really it. We had something where we have a little bit more of a joint agreement about national defense and international trade, but it really is supposed to be that Rhode Island is its own nation. New York is its own nation. Wisconsin is its own nation. That's just, that's really what it's all about. It's supposed to be that. Now, it's hard. It's hard for states to differentiate themselves from others when, as we were reading last night, everybody is tied into the same waterlogged federal programs that destroy the autonomy of the states, the political autonomy of the states. 
because it's very hard for a, a, a an entity like a state to remain politically autonomous when they have got to make sure that they vote correctly enough to keep the money coming in to make sure that voters at home do not kick them out of Congress or out of any other elected office because suddenly the welfare money went away. The welfare money went away because nobody cares about Nobody actually cares about what, what's going on here and how if we were, we were going to save ourselves from the coming collapse, then you got to be able to cut the umbilical cord from Washington, D.C. that was put in place illegally in the first place. That's it. I would love to see more state competition. The problem is that New York is just like a bank at this point. Like States like New York are almost like too big to fail. That's really what it is. I would, I would love to see. I would love to see everything cut away and have Kathy Hochul figure out how to how to pay for everything now that you made everybody useless. So it'll happen. It's happening before our very eyes. And it's not capitalism's fault. It's not the free market's fault. There's nothing free. There's no. There's nothing free about that marketplace that he's describing right there, with regular regulation, stifling regulation and taxation and everything else. So just like people misapply labels like right and left and how everything is fascist without even knowing what fascism is. Everything is invariably Hitler-esque. Everything is also capitalism. Nobody knows what the fuck it is. Nobody knows. All right, we'll be right back. Thank you so much for for showing up, and uh, I hope that you stick with us. It's going to be a really, really fun show, if not creepy. So don't go anywhere. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Quite frankly, episode 10,000-something. Welcome, welcome. All right, so as you all know, you can watch this show, and you probably are if it's the 7 o'clock show. You have plenty of places where you can watch this on Theta, on quitefrankly.tv. It's the best place to go. Um, But there's other places for the 7 o'clock, and I'm always going to find new places for people to watch the 7 o'clock show. 
which is what anchors the, the greater network. But there's only one place to watch the network programming. That's on quitefrankly.tv. Uh, hello to everybody over there on Twitch, on Rumble, on YouTube, on Rockfin, on DLive. It's a really, really, really nice night. I would like to also just say right off the bat that, uh, especially with YouTube, ladies and gents, I encourage you to cross over to Rumble and help dogpile there on the likes on the likes during the seven o'clock show. Even if you don't, even if you don't watch it there, dogpile on the likes and the comments on on Rumble because um, perhaps if we ever get to on top of our YouTube shorts game, that will get us past the new blockade that has been set up. That we had a couple of good good weeks in the beginning of 2023 with the likes and everything else. We'll just see what the shorts do for us whenever we're able to get into a groove with that. But I'm telling you, on Rumble, your likes make a huge difference. And there is a there's just hundreds of thousands of people on Rumble who would love, love this show if they knew it existed. So even if you don't like watching on Rumble, head over there, subscribe, like the streams, and also uh, remember, whereas you can watch the nightly show all over the place, Quite Frankly Network is only viewable on quitefrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole. So thank you so much for all of that. All right, so the first thing I want to bring up, which has a little bit of a tie-in to what the rest of the tonight's show is going to be about with Danny Casolaro, is the following. Did you hear about this today? The Pentagon and its officials suggest alien mothership is in our solar system and could send many probes to Earth. To Earth. Pentagon officials said in a draft document last week that aliens could be visiting our solar system. And really, so just when we thought we were out, they drag us back in. We thought that the balloons, that they said, all right, you know, are we going to play the card? No, 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 hold it. And then we get this. Could be visiting an alien mothership. They could be visiting our solar system and releasing smaller probes like missions conducted by NASA when studying other planets. A draft research report authored by Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of the Pentagon's All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, AARO, and Abraham Loeb, Avi Loeb, chairman of the Harvard University's astronomy department, was released on March 7th and focused on the physical constraints of unidentified aerial phenomena. So we're back to, uh, we're back to UAP. An artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to Earth. An operational construct not too dissimilar from NASA missions, the report said. These dandelion seeds could be separated from the parent craft by tidal gravitational force of the sun or by a maneuvering capability, uh, which means being able to fly itself. The AARO was established in July of 2022 and is responsible for tracking objects in the sky, underwater, and in space, or possibly an object that has the ability to move from one domain to the next. Congress tasked NASA to find 90% of all the objects near Earth that are larger than 140 meters in 2005, which resulted in Pan-STARRS telescopes, according to the report. On October 19, 2017, the Pan-STARRS detected an unusual interstellar object that was later named Amuamua, or Scout, in Hawaiian. That was such a fun time. December of 2017 was so great. We had all this, all this, you know, bubbling, 
bubbling uh, news about disclosure. Um, of course, it was it was all coming from the mainstream media, which just made it interesting as to why they are jumping on board because if we're about to see them roll out some kind of a psyop and you know it just doesn't matter when you feel like you're when you feel like you're about to see some indiana jones shit it just got exciting the object was cigar shaped appeared flat and was propelled away from the sun without showing a cometary trail leading scientists to believe that it was artificial Three years later, another object was was discovered. The report noted, namely NASA's rocket booster 2020 SO, which had no cometary tra- uh, trail. The report also said six months before Oumuamua made its closest approach to Earth, the meteor the meter size interstellar meteor, that's IM2, crashed on Earth and exhibited an identical speed relative to the sun at large distances and identical shape to Oumuamua. So what they're saying now is... They're, they just uh, they need more, they probably just need more money. That's what it is. This 2022 program that was set up that was that was that's probably what resulted in the recommendation. They said when they were studying the Tic Tac things, they came back with, of course, vague nonsense, and then they concluded we need more money to continue to study the phenomena of what's going on in our skies. So this is what they produced. And they're actually dropping Mothership. I saw Lester Holt talking about it. There was some kind of a a television segment over the last couple of days where he's actually saying there could be a Mothership that is deploying scouts like Oumuamua somewhere in our solar system or on the outskirts or wherever. It's ridiculous to think that we can actually um, measure and monitor all of the sky or any significant portion of it. That's as laughable as saying that we can monitor what's at the bottom of the sea. But I bring that up because, as you know, UFOs and Area 51 actually makes an appearance into this next story. And as you know, we've gotten a lot of very interesting things dropped by, well, recently by the the media. They have done 180-degree turns on a number of things, including the whole UFO phenomenon. But a lot of other things that have been dropped by the FBI vault accounts on Twitter and elsewhere over the past few years, we got revelations about the protocols of the elders of Zion. They gave us things on the finder's cult out of nowhere. And I believe buried inside of the finder's cult thing were references to the McMartin school. Okay, the McMartin school scandal, which was all satanic uh, sacrifices, animal sacrifices, child abuse, all that stuff. Things that the mainstream media said didn't exist. It was over-exaggerated. There were no tunnels. There were no nothing. I think it was in the finder's cult drop from the FBI vault files that we saw. There was McMartin School, namely confirmation of the tunnels that were under the school that the gatekeeper said did not exist. Well, earlier this year, the vault released a few files, some information on investigative journalist Danny Casalaro. And in the very short time that Casalaro was piecing things together prior to his mysterious death, uh, people suspect that he was discovering significant pieces of a puzzle that explains how the technocratic world is all held together, namely surveillance, blackmail, everything. Sound familiar? It's going to be very familiar. And he discovered this entity called the octopus. The octopus. So imagine my delight when I saw that Nick Redfern wrote about this recently for Mysterious Universe. So um, 
Let's just jump into that. I want to read this with you right now, and then we're going to go into another article, and then we'll take an intermission break at that point. I don't care what time it is. We'll take an intermission. Because when we come back from that intermission, we're going to go through your Super Chats, a couple of those, clear the docket with all the Super Chats, and then bring on Frank and Jim Zell to just let it ride. And that's what we will... uh, that's what we'll be up to. Okay, ready? Here we go. Let's get on into this one. I love this from Mysterious Universe. Here you go. The FBI releases its file on now-dead journalist Danny Castellaro, the man of the octopus. For some of you into conspiracies, a few days ago, the FBI uploaded its file on Danny Castellaro. The guy was a journalist writer who died in controversial ways back in 1990s, but don't be too excited, there aren't many pages in this drop. But maybe you'll find something worth reading. He provides the link. And here's the story of his life and mysterious death, and his tie-in with a secret organization known as The Octopus. So since this is a bit timely, let's have a look at the Casalaro story. It was the summer of 1991, specifically August 1st of that year, when the body of a middle-aged man was discovered in a hotel room in Martinsburg, West Virginia, Sheraton Inn. His body was lying in the shower. It was a grim sight for the maid that made the discovery. The man, it seemed, had committed suicide. His wrists were cut deep, something which effectively meant that without anyone helping him, the man was doomed. And he was. It didn't take more than a few minutes for the hotel staff to figure out who exactly the man was. He was identified by the person on the front desk as Danny Casalaro. He was an investigative journalist of the Woodward and Bernstein variety. Casalaro's death was a big tragedy for his family and friends. Suicide is always a terrible tragedy, and not just for the victim, for those left behind to have to pick up the pieces. But was Casalaro's death really just a suicide that it appeared to be? The investigation continued to grow, and, the, uh, and to the point where it wasn't just the local police looking into the death, but also conspiracy theorists. The latter group had a very good reason for looking into Casalaro's out of the blue death. For around a year and a half leading up to the point of his reported suicide, Casalaro had been looking into a powerful group of people who sound very much like the candidates for a new world order. Casalaro termed this group the octopus. Appropriately, but unfortunately and tragically, the octopus soon got its tentacles into Casalaro and dragged him down to an untimely death. Casalaro's investigations started as a result of his interactions with a man named William Hamilton, who who just happened to be a, a retired employee of the National Security Agency, the former employers of Edward Snowden. Hamilton was an expert in then-growing field of computer software. As a part of his work, Hamilton came up with a highly sophisticated program, sophisticated for 1991 at least, designed to help the United States Department of Justice to chase down criminals. For a while, at least, all went well. The time came, though, when the Department of Justice, and quite out of the blue, stunned Hamilton by informing him that he had been overcharging them for his technology. That went by the title of Promise. P-R-O-M-I-S. Does that sound familiar? A huge legal feud followed. Hamilton did not come out as the victor, as was almost certainly guaranteed. Just because Hamilton was on the losing end, though, it didn't mean that his program was also belly up. 
In fact, it was just the exact opposite. The Department of Justice had no intention of letting go of this program, which in terms of its widespread surveillance and tracking ability, promised a great deal. It wasn't long at all before entire swaths of the U.S. intelligence community were bootlegging their own versions of Hamilton's baby. But with a difference, the U.S. sold copies of the program to numerous nations, but they provided those same nations, which included Iran and Israel, with a program that contained what in computer speak is known as a backdoor. In simple terms, when the relevant nations downloaded the program, it allowed the U.S. to secretly spy on those countries, which had purchased the program. It was also allowing the United States to pick up on what all other nations, many of which were not enemies or even potential enemies of the U.S., what they were doing in the program. It was a story that fascinated Danny Castellaro, who decided to dig into the matter further. It became the, an investigation which, for Castellaro, turned into a downright obsession. Now, let me just say, as, this prog- as a program like this proliferates, and we know about our, our very incestuous intelligence-sharing operations all around the world through all of the 5, 9, 12, 27, 88 eyes programs and the Stone Ghost system that we had, we had Jim Lee tell us all about uh, years ago. Whatever they say they were doing, whether they were selling it to people and using it as a backdoor to spy on them, or if they were just setting up a, uh, a, a, a very secret highly undetectable file sharing system between everybody knowingly. I'm sure that we're, you know, stabbing allies in the back and spying on everybody. That happens. We're caught from time to time. But you just never know. And I guess who will ever tell us about how deep this really went. Anyway, on with the story. What Castellaro found was that the octopus did not operate out of one specific facility. Of the types that applied to the likes of CIA, NSA, and FBI, rather they were a loose-knit collection of powerful people all around the world who would come together for clandestine meetings and to try to determine how to best manipulate the human race in years ahead. And all for the benefit of the octopus, of course. The more and more he dug, the more and more Castellaro found that the octopus had played major roles in major, historic, world-altering events. The long list included the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, which came very close to seeing civilization come to an end in a fiery nuclear inferno. Watergate, which led to the resignation of President Richard M. Nixon, was an octopus operation, Castellaro was told by shadowy sources. Or at least they played significant roles in helping to leak data that would be damaging to the disgraced president. The December 1988 destruction of a Boeing 747 jumbo jet over the town of Lockerbie, Scotland, was also said to have been the dirty work of the octopus. If that was not enough, the octopus also had a significant input into what was afoot in the world's most well-known secret base, Area 51. What else? So Casolaro learned a top-secret program was afoot at Area 51 to create lethal viruses, one which were so powerful, ones which were so powerful that they had the ability, if released in mass, to wipe out massive percentages of the human race. Rumors reached Castellaro to the effect that this particular program was part of an ongoing plan to one day depopulate the planet and have the surviving population placed under unrelenting control of a powerful elite. On the Area 51 angle, things got even more controversial. Castellaro was told that a secret group known as Majestic 12 oversaw that Area 51, the wreck uh, oversaw at Area 51, the wreckage and alien bodies said to have been found in New Mexico in the summer of 1947. 
the legendary Roswell affair, of course. For the record, here's the Majestic 12 issue has been an integral for one of the field of ufology for decades. And this is this is Nick Redfern's bread and butter, by the way. This is the first time I'm ever, I'm ever hearing of Area 51, UFO, alien bodies, all that stuff when it comes to Danny Castellaro and the octopus. I thought it was interesting, and that's why I included the Fox News article about the mothership today. But, um, but anyway... It was while Casalaro was looking into the UFO connections to the octopus that he came across a man named Michael Ricon, uh, Riconosciuto. He was a guy who had an uncanny ability to worm his way into the domains of U.S. intelligence, espionage, classified programs, and the UFO phenomenon, as well as the world of highly classified vehicles that may have looked at like alien spacecraft, but which, in reality, were highly classified prototype aircraft of the military, tested and flown within the perimeters of Area 51. By now, Casalaro's head was spinning, which is hardly surprising. Unfortunately, Casalaro did not live to see the truth of the octopus unveiled by himself, he hoped. The matter of his death in August of 1991 ensured that. While Casalaro's death could have been, uh, been due to suicide, certainly that's what it looked like, there were solid and valid reasons to suggest that his death was due to something very different. At the time of his passing, Casalaro was certainly not in a state of woe or depression. It was the exact opposite. He was energized by the new leads and new revelations in his quest to find the truth of the octopus, its activities, and its motivations. Barely 24 hours before he died, Casalaro met with one of his sources for information on the octopus, a man named William Turner. By all accounts, for Casalaro, the meeting was a profitable one. Other people at the hotel happened to have brief chats with Casalaro. None described him as appearing depressed, stressed, or worried. That did not take away the fact, though, that the authorities went to the suicide conclusion. There were problems with that one, too. One of the most glaring problems related to the matter of Casalaro's slashed wrists. The gashes were very deep, inflicting one of the such deep wounds that could not that would not be a problem. Okay, the inflicting one of those wounds would not be a problem. It's little known fact, though, that severing the ulnar artery causes that same hand to essentially become useless. And quite like what it feels to fall asleep on one's arm, the blood is restricted and overwhelming numbness sets in. So yes, Casalaro could have slashed one wrist to such a deep degree, but that would that same hand would largely become um, come unable to inflict such major damage to the other wrist. It's also worth noting that according to his notes, Castellaro had a source within a company that is known as Wackenhut, and which has been contracted on many occasions to undertake security-based work at Area 51. GS4 Security Solutions USA is an American security services company and wholly owned subsidiary of G4S. G4S, sorry, not GS4. G4S. Uh, it was founded at the Wackenhut Corporation in 1954 in Coral Gables, Florida, by George Wackenhut and three partners, all of them former FBI agents. In 2002, the company was acquired for $570 million by Danish corporation group for Falk. Itself was then merged to become a British company for a G4S in 2004. In 2010, G4S Wackenhut changed its name to G4S Secure Solutions, another USA um, iteration, to reflect the new business model. And G4S American Region Headquarters is in Jupiter, Florida. 
After early struggles, including a fistfight between George Wackenhut and one of his partners, Wackenhut took sole control of his company in 1958, then choosing to name it after himself. By 1964, he had contracts to guard the Kennedy Space Center and the U.S. Atomic Energy Commission's nuclear test site in Nevada, which included Area 51. The following year, Wackenhut took his company public in the mid-1960s, and Florida Governor Claude Kirk commissioned the Wackenhut Corporation to help fight a, quote, war on organized crime, end quote, awarding the company a $500,000 contract. The commission lasted about a year, but led to more than 80 criminal indictments, including many for local politicians and government employees. Following the murder of a British tourist at the rest stop in, in 1993, Florida contact, contracted with Wackenhut to provide security at all state rest stops. It's no surprise that taking into consideration all the controversy surrounding Casalaro's life, investigations, and death, and other researchers, that other researchers began to look into his story. Uh, two of those were Ken Thomas and Jim Keith, who in 1996 penned a book on the whole affair titled The Octopus, a most apt title. In late 1999, things turned ominous. Keith found that his computer had been hacked into and that someone was reading his every written word. In 1999, Keith died in a Reno hospital in under questionable circumstances. Then in 2001, Ron Bonds, the published, uh, uh, the published of the octopus, the publisher, there's a lot of typos in this for Mysterious Universe has got to look into that. The publisher of The Octopus died under equally controversial circumstances. The octopus, it seemed, is determined to ensure that no one gets too close to the truth of its world-manipulating activities, no matter what the cost. Of course, there is no doubt that some people will be asking that surely the FBI's file on Casalaro should be much bigger. But the fact is that if you have a good look at the whole website of the FBI, The Vault, you will see that the declassified files now available do indeed go from small to large. But check it out, either way. The FBI really does a great job of getting files into the public domain. And I definitely suggest that you have a deep look at the website. There are matters on the unexplained, the paranormal, and more. Cattle mutilations, yes. Well, we talked about that. There is pretty much, there's a lot there. Now, when Frank and Jim jump into this, I'm sure that they will talk about how the fact that this was a, a crash course with destiny that Castellaro was on because all of this happened, this trail of his investigation was not more than a year before it all ended with him being found by the maid in the Sheridan Inn. Now, when it comes to the, the whole idea of the octopus and what that all ties into, I'm sure that many of you have seen, or maybe you don't, it should sound pretty familiar. It goes by a thousand different names. But some of you may have come to understand it through movies like Spectre. That's starring Daniel Craig and as, uh, as James Bond. I went and I grabbed an old article from 2016, I believe. Vigilant Citizen does a great breakdown of Spectre, the octopus. Uses that symbolism, and we know it, there's a lot of messaging. And let's get on into this. So if you have not seen it, you should. I mean, all, all of the, the, the Daniel Craig James Bonds are very, very revelatory. They show you a lot of stuff there. There's a lot in there. From Casino Royale on out. And Spectre is, is, is tremendous. But now, with, with Spectre, 
and they talk about it a little bit in the opening here too and i like that they point this out it starts in mexico during a day of the dead celebration which is very important to understand here because you know this is a the only time this is the only time in the movie that you have any kind of visual of everyday people and they're all dressed they're all dressed in uh, in you know as as skeletons with their sugar skulls and all that stuff and it's a, a a really great way of how the elite, as they even say over here, vigilant citizens, how the elite perceives the masses. We've we've talked about it on this show before too. When you talk about revelation of the method, and what we are discover, what we the uninitiated are referred to as, we're, we're referred to as the dead, the living dead. Don't really know. We have a very shallow understanding of how the world actually works. Um, no matter how how indignant we get about it it's just it there's only a very very small sliver of the pie that we get we get to examine at any given time and over years you know we get some confirmations in good places but here listen to this specter the the occult elite vigilantcitizen.com if 007 represents the british government and the mi6 then specter the shady organization looking to control the world represents the occult elite the symbol of specter is an octopus a symbol loved by the real-world elite. Its many tentacles represent the many areas in which it meddles. And there you have there. The U.S. National Reconnaissance Organization launched its spy satellite, NROL-39, used for mass surveillance into space. It released a mission patch featuring a giant octopus engulfing the Earth with the words, Nothing is beyond our reach. Coincidentally enough, Spectre is about the same kind of surveillance. In the movie Captain America Winter Soldier, the secret elite organization Hydra aims to control the world with a new world order. Its symbols also an octopus-like tentacles. The proliferation of these symbols is how mass media programs the world. Not unlike the real occult elite, Spectre gathers in secret meetings in places made by the, by the elite for the elite. In Spectre, the meeting takes place in Rome at midnight. And the, the, the cinematography is, is, is great. It's chilling. And seriously, uh, we should probably do a, a whole Bond marathon on the, the network soon. In occult and popular culture, midnight is also known as the witching hour. It's defined as the time of night when creatures such as witches, demons, and ghosts are thought to appear and to be at their most powerful, and black magic to be the most effective. Appropriately, appropriately enough, in the film, the meeting is the theater for a symbolic blood sacrifice. When one member of the meeting is deemed unnecessary, he gets killed, one of the worst ways possible. A gigantic guy gouges his eyes out and, uh, and breaks his neck in front of a silent room of people. Nobody steps up to do anything about it, of course. During that meeting, a German speaker outlines the successes of Spectre, which are perfectly in line with the real-world elite's black agenda. Not a lot of fiction going on there. One of these successes is particularly creepy. The speaker talks about 160,000 migrated females who have been placed in the leisure sector. The leisure sector means prostitution. In subtle scenes like this, the movie discloses the true devastating agenda of the elite in this day and age. As I've mentioned in past articles, the migration crisis has been forced on the world for several reasons. 
One of the darkest reasons is to easily exploit millions of displaced people who have minimal rights and few written records in all kinds of nefarious human trafficking ventures. It has already started. News sources have reported that over 10,000 refugee children are already missing. Remember, this is 2016. How many of them will find themselves in the occult elite's underground child abuse rings? However, like the occult elite, the main goal of Spectre is to subvert all world governments in order to implement worldwide surveillance and implement nothing less than a new world order. Indeed, in one scene, an agent tells Bond the following, quote, In three days, there's a security conference in Tokyo to decide the new world order, end quote. Spectre has infiltrated the British government with its agents, namely one guy that goes by the name of C. To get to the world, new world order go, uh, to get this new world order going, in several scenes, C uses typical Illuminati phraseology, such as, quote, "We're going to bring the British intelligence out of the dark ages and into the light." Illuminati means the enlightened. Later in this speech in Tokyo, C states the following. Do not let them tell you we need less surveillance. We need more, much more. I say again, the Nine Eyes Committee would have full access to the combined intelligence streams of all member states. More data, more analysis, less likelihoods of terrorist attacks. During that meeting, the participating countries are subjected to a vote to get worldwide surveillance going. Then we see that South Africa votes no to the New World Order. South Africa votes no. Really interesting. Upon learning the outcome of that vote, C says yet to another phrase of the, uh, that is very Illuminati, only a matter of time before South Africa sees the light. Well, seven years later, South Africa is in the midst of a complete societal collapse. Shortly after that negative vote, the South African city of Cape Town is subject to a violent terrorist attack. So we see here, clear disclosure of how the real world occult elite work. False flag terror attacks scare populations and nations into submission and into accepting drastic policy changes. All the scenes above basically sum up what the elite has been up to in the past years. Paris attacks, new surveillance laws, and the migration crisis. Since this is a spy movie, the occult elite is personified by one supervillain, Ernst Stavro Blofeld. His trademark characteristic tells everything you need to know about him. One eye gouged out. Blofeld also likes to say Illuminati mottos, quote, a terrible event can lead to something wonderful out of horror, beauty. This quote is remarkably similar to the occult elite's favorite motto, out of order chaos. Uh, the Masonic's insignia is featured there too. Uh, by using false flag terror, Spectre is talking, taking over the world. Luckily, James Bond is here to kill everybody and have sex with a bunch of girls on his way there. However, the movie makes one thing clear. James Bond is not the people's hero. Trying to save freedom and democracy, he's basically a puppet of the system. The British government and Spectre are simply two sides of the same coin. That little adventure that you are watching with the suave good guy and the evil bad guy, that is just theatrics to keep you distracted while real things are actually happening. James Bond is reduced to a pawn of the elite. The true status of James Bond is clearly depicted during the title sequence of the movie. You see there again, the octopus. While we hear the dramatic song by Sam Smith in the background, and we know what he's up to, we see James Bond walking under the protection of Spectre Octopus, which represents the occult elite. I thought Bond was against them. Well, maybe he's underneath them and doesn't understand it yet. Anyway, doesn't matter. 
Uh, the, ten- the same tentacles are behind Blofeld, suggesting that both the good guy and the supervillain are actually part of the same team. James Bond walks around as we see a bunch of eyes, just all these screen- screenshots here. And it goes on, it goes on. Like in every James Bond movie, there's a scene where the agent is presented with all the cool gadgets that he'll play with during that adventure. This movie is no exception. However, this time, there's a catch. Bond must have a microchip planted inside of him before he can do anything else. Q, the guy in charge of the gadgets, tells Bond, cutting-edge nanotechnology, smart blood, microchips in your bloodstream, that allows us to track your movements in the field, to which Bond replies, That sounds marvelous. In other words, the agent who is supposed to save the world from being monitored at all times by the government is being monitored at all times by the government. Later in the movie, Bond gets more mind-control slave-style treatment, this time at the hands of Blofeld. So it keeps going. But I'm telling you, the... um, In conclusion, although the Spectre organization is the bad guy, and James Bond, the good guy. None of it actually matters. The movie's true goals is exposing the masses to the specific concept in order to make it part of the collective unconscious. Mass media is all about predictive programming, acquainting the public with planned societal changes to be implemented by the occult elite. These changes are already happening now, although James Bond is fighting the Spectre, is fighting Spectre for the Queen. We must not forget that the UK has for years been at the forefront of the Big Brother agenda, implementing all kinds of restrictive mass surveillance laws right after every terrorist attack on the Western world. In short, the UK has been taken over by Spectre a long time ago, and James Bond, our hero, is nothing but a mind-controlled pawn with a microchip in his arm. Now, I love these movies. I think that they are uh, they're a fun time. There's plenty to talk about, plenty to analyze. They're well shot, well written. And uh, we we have to do some James Bond nights on the network, no doubt about it. So that's why I say a lot of this stuff is going to be very familiar. The octopus, where it is popped up. Um, Promise software, what that leads to, and just how big the picture is. So now that we have all the foundation laid, we're going to take a really quick break. When we come back, your super chats, however many they are. You can go and drop some to me right now while you're waiting at, quite frankly, superchat.com. And we will be joined by Frank and Jim Zell from inthezeller.com on the other end of the break. So don't go anywhere. In fact, help us get this, uh, this, this show out there to people while we're still live because it's only going to get better in the last hour. Be right back. It's intermission time, folks. Time out. Press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Yeah, intermission. 
entering. Quite frankly. 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 We all support quite frankly. Not quite. Let's go, Brandon. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? So let's get a uh, let's get a look into what's going on here. Over on quitefranklysuperchat.com, the first one I'm getting to right now is from Cody. Cody says, "Hey Frank, I'm not sure if you ever heard this, but James Bond 007 was based on John D. Quite the rabbit hole, really now." Uh, it was only a couple of. It was, I think, it was before the new year, though. I put a uh, a documentary about John D. up on the up on the the Sunday night programming. It's all alchemy and the the language, Enochian language of the angels. Gonna have to get into that, um, Cody. If you have any reading reading material on James Bond and John D., I'd love to see the. I'd love to see those those parallels. Send it on over to me at quite frankly podcast at gmail.com. Stostoop says, Good hump day, Frank and all. Just dropping off a little contribution for the show. Be well, brother. Like button on the tube and rumble is smashed twice. That's the best way. That's the best way. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. One way or another. One way or another we get around. Over on Rumble, we got a Rumble rant in, a very generous Rumble rant from Cremo, who says, excellent show with Beans this morning. Yes, yes, the Wednesday morning episode on the Uncovered DC Rumble channel was great. And um, and usually is, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8.30 a.m., you can have your morning coffee with us. So there you have it. All right, over on Foxhole, we'll get this out of the way, and then we're going to uh, give Frank a call, or have Frank call us. Chai Possum says, you are entering the no-pants zone. Evening, Frank and Franklies. Oh, that sounds so comfortable. Damn. Oh, damn. Secret Weapon, thank you. Paulie9363, thank you. Sean Joe, thank you so much. And Sean Joe says, Dark Journalist just recently did a couple of episodes on Casalaro. That's good. Boyce Blank. Thank you for the cookies. It's great to have you all out there. All right. So as you know, our guests, they'll be calling in now, I, I believe. Our guests, uh, Frank and Jim Zell, they have spent many years now, decades, as uh, independent, private journalists and investigators. 
these are the guys. I mean, I and uh, there are plenty of people out there. Uh, I've got a great number of friends who have become very adept at taking all the information that is available on anything, putting pieces together, and in being able to really publicly source some really great journalism that other people who have a lot more resources do not do. Frank and Jim are from another generation of investigator. They are from the hit the ground running, leave house, go on the road, hit a town, interview people within the town, hit the phones, getting inside there, and and, uh, and coming uh, a little bit sometimes too close to the subject matter. We've had some wonderful stories, scary stories over the years, uh, starting with John Bonet all the way on up. And uh, these are the guys that we love talking to about the darker things to try to make some sense of them all. Frank, you there? Hey, I'm here, Frank. How are you, man? Hi, it's, it's great to hear from you again. Everybody's always like, where the hell are the Zells? And we're always around, Frank. Always around somewhere. Are You, you mean you, you're, you, the tentacles of the octopus, like the tentacles of the octopus? <laughs> exactly. My gosh. So is, where's Jim? Is he going to be joining us soon? See if I can figure it out. Jim, you there? Hello. Jim, you there? Frank? I'm here. Oh, Frank and Jim are here. Hey, Frank. What's going on, guys? <laughs> oh, you know, a little Frank? bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, you know, I, I'm so tempted. I'll, I'll say this for the end of the show, of course, because I'm so tempted to ask you about uh, about w- where you're putting your money these days, or if you're putting your money anywhere. You, 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 you know, are, I think we all may need a little bit of alchemy these days. Just transmute all of our cash into gold and bury it in the backyard somewhere. I was just going to say under the mattress in the backyard, Jeez. a little bit of gold. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it's like it's. I mean, it's insane times we live in for sure. Well, I, I can't imagine that what we're going, what we're going to be talking about tonight, is too far off the beaten path from the same powers that are at work right now in the financial institutions and and where we're being pushed as a globe. So let's just get started. I mean, you guys, uh, you guys are the reason why I know who Danny, Danny Cancellaro is, and that was from from years ago. So I, I guess I'm just going to leave it to you, you all. How, how did you come to? Uh, first of all, did you know? Danny Castellaro, because I know that you've you've been able to make contact with and been in touch with some pretty interesting uh, private investigators and journalists over the years. Did you guys ever have any personal interactions? Uh, Danny Castellaro was always the one I wish that I would have gotten in touch with, but he died, so he got in, involved in 1990 with Ensor and Promise, and he was dead a year later. And around that time, I was just really getting started on, you know, and uh, at the end of Franklin, you know, so I was in touch and not, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I was a friend of the camp, but I knew the camp and I could ask the camp for favors and, you know, a bunch of the, the people in that case I got involved with, you know, Gary Webb, I talked to for many years, but Danny Casalow was the one I always wish I would have gotten in touch with. Michael Hastings was another one, you know, I was in touch with at the, at the end of his life before his car blew up. But yeah, Danny Casalow was always the one because I believe we were very similar in nature and he went through a crash course with promise, you know, in such a short time, 
his mind just exploded. I mean, it's it's a great story. It's the Promise software is where worlds collide, and they still collide to this day. Promise doesn't end; it keeps going. So talk about that. (laughs) How about you guys talk about that right there? Um, uh, Did you know about Promise before Danny, or did you learn about it because of people like him? Uh, Talk about Promise, which you said is is really the the thing that needs to be taken away from the octopus story. All right, so I didn't know about Danny Casalaro until, you know, his death was big news. I mean, you're talking mainstream media did shows on it. You know, uh, it was uh, headlines in a couple of papers. It was, his death was big news. And obviously I was doing something different, but you took notice of it and you're like, wow, what, what was this guy into? You know, cause his, you know, they ruled it a suicide. It obviously was not a suicide. And then you start, looking into things so I learned about that from his death I learned about promise so back in the 90s is when I learned about it and the promise software you know you mentioned it a little bit uh, you know Inslaw William Hamilton and the one thing I hope everybody takes away from this, because I'm going to try to tie this in to Monday's guest if I can at, at the end. But uh, William Hamilton developed this software. This was in the late 70s. Every, so this is a long, long time ago that this software was created. And what it was meant to do was it was meant to help prosecutors and attorney's offices around the country manage their caseloads, track felons, so on and so forth. But back then, I'm not really a big computer guy, but back then, computers were in different languages. Every office used a different language That's for right. their computer system. This software was meant to, uh, how can I explain it? Was meant to put it all into, to consolidate it, decipher it, and put it into one file so it would decipher all the languages. So now these offices could communicate with each other and share information. So think of it like as the Rosetta Stone of computers is a good example. Mm. Okay. So that's what it was meant. And it's very innocuous. You know, it's, it's computer stuff. You don't really think it doesn't sound uh, like anything dangerous or anything uh, evil, you know. What the hell is even prosecutors management, like information systems, or something to that effect? It's promise. That's all it was meant to do. And as you mentioned, he had a, a contract with the uh, Department of Justice. And sometime in the early 80s, they were supposed to hand over this promise software to the Department of Justice. Well, they took it and then pretty much stopped payment and tried to force Insula into bankruptcy. And this was in the early 80s. 
Think about that. this technology, okay? They install the back door. CIA installs a back door. Michael Reconosciuto installs a back door on the Promise software, which allows the, uh, the people who have the access to the back door, so when it's installed on any computer, you go through the back door, you can see it all. And that's what happened, is that people sold it in, like, uh, Jim, who was it, Brian? Earl Brian? Earl, 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 yeah, Earl Brian. There's an Israeli component to it, too, because um, Israel um, was able to, met to finagle a copy from Inflaw, and they were able to uh, take it back. The guy, the spy's name was Raphael Eitan. He he was the one that snuck it back to Israel, and then he coordinated with a uh, um, an aide from the, the the Reagan administration. The guy's name was Earl Bryan, and they were able to hook up with a uh, a guy out in California, another uh, someone pro Israel, and they were able to install um, a backdoor in it, and they sold it all around of the world to uh, mostly their enemies, but they sold it all over the place, Israel did, and the CIA had their own backdoors in their version, and they sold it to the Five Eye groups. They sold it to Britain, they sold it to New Zealand, and Germany, uh, sold in Germany, so by the end of this, and so on. So by the end of this, and and, and 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 we're not even talking too far along. This is still years, many years ago. But by the end of this this spread of the technology, um, aside from all of the well-established intelligence sharing uh, conglomerates and, and 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 treaties that are out there and whatever, Five Eyes, Nine, as that keeps expanding over the years. Aside from all that other stuff, everybody has secret backdoors into each other, both ally neutral or or enemy and there is just willful sharing of intelligence and then constant spying on each other as well correct okay that's, that's pretty much uh that's pretty much it but they did something else and you don't really think of it like maybe nowadays the the, the term artificial intelligence you think of it as something now maybe used 20 years ago they made it with artificial intelligence in the early 80s which allowed it to become a weapon of tremendous power it could do many things they would you know like it's a it's original uh use was supposed to be not only linking all the uh, system languages together so they could communicate and also like uh, another use was supposed to be tracking felons this took it to another level mated with artificial intelligence it now allowed you to analyze and track groups in real time based on the information you put in which obviously you're going to use for, let's say, terrorists. But you could take it even further. You can do a whole town, analyze all their pattern in real time, and then predict future movements of everybody in that town. 
where they'll be next week, next month, a year, five years. That's what it was doing in the 80s. And then financially, it's even worse. Well, you could, okay, sorry. It, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, uh, so, I'm sorry. Go ahead about uh, you so go about financials, and then I have to go back and ask you a question about uh, in data gathering in the 80s with people in, in the, the, the town example that you gave. Go ahead. Right. So, okay, so briefly, uh, financially, right, it would be used to track trades in real time, predicting the market, giving its predictions. Do you know what a tool that could be? Well, especially back in the 80s. Are you know how rich you could get off of this? And not only that, it could go into any, using the back door, it could wipe away bank accounts. All the hidden bank accounts in the world, you know, offshore, in the islands, and let's say those, those uh, the ones in Switzerland, you could go in through the back door, wipe any account clean, and nobody would know what happened. That's what promise turned into. And then it just got updated and got stronger and stronger. Prism, you know, Snow, Edward Snowden, what mm -hmm. do you think Prism is? It's an updated version of Promise. And that was, and that, that's that, what it is. That in Prism, I remember talking about, uh, talking about Prism a lot in 2013 and 14 on the show because that was just, you, you want to talk about data gathering, how it marshaled every security camera in in the world to be able to be brought underneath that one system that you can go and you can actually identify people through gate recognition they could have a full full body costume on and these cameras would still be able to locate a person based on the way that they walk you know certain things that are identifiable that we that we we just don't know so that that's how that's how advanced it was by 2000 by by the new millennium but let me ask you this when, when you're talking about ga yeah. data gathering in the 1980s, and Jim, maybe you can start off with this and then throw it back to Frank. Um, w what are you gathering in the 1980s? I mean, uh, are you are you just tapping everybody's phones uh, through whatever computer system you have set up? Because we weren't, most Americans were not getting PCs with internet connectivity until the 90s. That wasn't really becoming a, a real trend. So if you're taking that, that analogy of tracking the movement and, and and the patterns of people that live in any one town i mean what are you gathering from them even if somebody lives in new york city in the 1980s uh, barely anybody has personal computers at that point so what are they gathering oh you know it, it was all about yeah, go ahead go ahead it's well, all about data it was all about data collection right and about the ability to collect uh data you know versus the the original aspect of promise was for the prosecutors to be able to gather all this information for the different agencies to talk to one another and they can share all this data that they had now back then they're just collecting it's personal personal data is what they what they can collect and it can be used you know my brother's talking about the grand scheme of a promise now but back in the early days you're gathering so much you can use it to collect data and put it in a database for any anything you know you could use it for good things and you could use it for bad things you can you can get information on dissidents dissidents throughout the united states yeah, but, but, but Jim, people but jim well, that's that's exactly where that's exactly where i was gonna go jim uh frank yeah. i'll answer I'll, I'll answer your question yeah, okay. i think i'll be able to answer it 
In the 60s and 70s, all right, the FBI, there was a thing called ADEX, A-D-E-X, I think. And in that file or in that, that whatever that, whatever it really was, was the names and information on 100,000 Americans yep. that the government deemed to be subversive. That if there was a problem, these are the people that they were going to round up. Okay? So that, there's that. Do you... Uh, trying to think what what exactly it was called it was the readiness exercise 1984 does that ring a bell to you no not me readiness exercise yeah well when you shorten it it's going to sound familiar rex 84 does that ring a bell yes okay okay so they use promise as part of rex 84 but now, instead of ADEX is 100,000, in case there was a national emergency and the Constitution was suspended, they had a list of 3 million Americans that were going to be rounded up and taken away. And they used promise to put together that list. Information, where you lived, all of it. And it's all about patterns. Just your life was mapped out then i can't even imagine what it does now yeah promise was also used in um it was sold to south american countries chile you know other countries there and it was used to round up dissidents that were not uh you know pro uh whoever was in power that type of stuff so now um i'm getting a better understanding of that now that's that's a, that's a pretty stark growth as far as that little Rolodex of dissidents in the United States from 100,000 to 3 million. But let's uh, the one thing I will say this is uh, Nick, Nick Redfern, the one who uh, wrote for Mysterious uh, Universe on, on the Danny Castellaro story, he's, he's obviously a, a lot more of a UF, uh, ufologist type. He's going to focus in on, on the Area 51 aspect a lot more than anything else. But he, and the one thing he, did, he fails to mention at all Hold on. There you go. The one thing he fails to mention at all is the Maxwell family. Robert Maxwell, because uh, no, no doubt about it, what you're talking about right here is not even just about keeping tabs on people who may be way too free a thinker or a real, you know, subversive or, or maybe a, an actual terrorist. You know, who, who knows? If men were angels, perhaps a, 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 a promise software could actually be trusted. To, to keep tabs on people who really had violent, maniacal intent and wanted to cause loss of life. But we know men are not angels. And we also know that one of the things that they're going to do when you can collect data like this, especially moving into the 1990s, when everybody's starting to sell, uh, you know write email, they're starting to instant message, they're starting to browse the Internet and, and be completely open to all types of new types of surveillance, there is the, there is the whole aspect of blackmail. And we know... The Maxwell family is, uh, mm -hmm. it, they're very astute when it comes to blackmail operations. This goes right to Epstein. Uh, t talk, talk about Maxwell and Promise, and, and let's start uh, weaving that web. Go ahead, Jim. Well, back in the, in, the <coughs> in the 80s, after Israel got their hands 
in the early 80s got their hands on a uh, version of Promise by their uh, counterterrorism guy, Raphael Eitan, and he hooked up with, like I said, one of the Reagan aides, Earl Bryan. They needed someone to kind of push it in mass around the world as a salesperson. That salesperson was Robert Maxwell. And Robert Maxwell took Promise, and he was able to meet with different leaders and agencies, and he was able to sell it for Israel. And it was interesting is, is that he was able to sell it to secret labs in the United States. Los Alamos, he had the uh, Sandia Laboratories. These are the top secret labs with, you know, for, nuclear, uh, for nuclear weapons. He actually met Robert Maxwell with Henry Kissinger, and Kissinger put him in touch with a senator from Texas named John Tower, who um, was the head of the Armed Services Committee, that put him in touch with these laboratories, and he was able to get the uh, Israel's version of Promise sold to those laboratories. So he played a very, very large role in that, which, which is pretty amazing. And, of course, you know, it wasn't too long after, in the 1991, you know, I think I think it was '91 that Maxwell dies. Um, as I, I think it's the same year that Cas. When did Casalaro die? Was it '91? Said '91, August '91. And 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 Senator John Towers also died in '91 in that plane crash, too. So <laughs> you mean a lot of people got '91? Yeah, '91 and '92 was a bad year. <laughs> a lot of people got whacked, man, over 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 this stuff, over promise. Yeah, and but it's going back to Maxwell. Yeah. Maxwell went from um, when he, after done selling Promise, he got his uh, his daughter involved, Christine Maxwell, with Information on Demand. That was her uh, company, and they took it even, and they sold it to other places through that company, through a front company, Information on Demand. That involved Christine Maxwell. They were all involved with it, and you bring in the blackmail aspect. One of the aspects of Promise, which we talk about the data collection and all it, you know, it can also be used for really, really nefarious things like collections of people's fetishes, who does what, who likes what, all around the world. Politicians, who's on the tape. Yeah, that can all be consolidated and they have that information. It's all condensed. And it is funny how worlds collide, how the Maxwell name is, is such a big thing in promise. And then you look at the Maxwell family today. And they basically built a, a blackmail empire. Well, my, my my question about that, maybe you guys can jump to next, is that if what does has anybody speculated as to what got Robert Maxwell offed? Because if he if he if he crossed somebody's line and he was put out of business, why were his daughters allowed to get so involved in an international? Uh, intelligence and blackmail uh, 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 gathering business. And so, I mean, how does that happen? You you would think that would be, that would be the end of the the Maxwell family's viability. It was it was I would guess promise played a role in it or his knowledge of it and what was done. You have to understand is that a lot of people died in regards to this. Maxwell, you know, and, and plus Maxwell was like a super spook, man. He, he wasn't just Israel. He was, he was like, he was double dealing with us, the CIA. I mean, you know, uh, uh, 
MI6 in England. He was he was messing around with them. So who knows the exact reason why they took him out? Mm. I would assume it was promise related because it, it fit right in the timeline of when everybody else was getting whacked. So it was just like they were kind of cleaning house, and anybody really deeply involved had to go. But going back to like when worlds collide, I mean Maxwell, yeah, he you know it's a big name because of you know. Jeffrey Epstein and Jislaine and, uh, and Maxwell, and so it's a big name. But what about Robert Hansen? Remember him, FBI guy? Yeah, spy. Yeah, right. They made a movie, all this, you know, and they called it at the time the worst security breach in the history of this country. He's he sold stuff to Russian gangsters. You want to guess what he sold to him? What? Prom, promise software. Now, at, at what point? And then the, at what point that people are? If you're talking about this is going back to the the late seventies, early eighties, that uh, this software is going on around everybody. You know, not only just other countries, but multiple uh, departments in the United States. You know, government apparatus are creating their own new software. I mean, it, 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 and everybody knows that they're creating backdoors to get, why is anybody even pr- buying software from each other if they know that if they're spying on somebody else and they're definitely spying on us, why are they even transacting with each other? It, it, it sounds more like to me, or at least sounds like after a while, everybody knows that these things have backdoors and it's just a, it, it's just a, a, a um, uh, it, it's just a, um, I don't know, a, a known arrangement. Kind of going back to the Spectre article. Yeah, Spectre. I just like that they're building better networks yep. that they they just know. Yeah, this is what we do, and obviously everybody is uh, everybody's already known who's who's dirty. Uh, everybody has their dirty laundry for 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 generations now. It's not like you, be, you even need new dirt to keep people in line. So. It, I mean, blackmail just might be less than secondary at this point. Well, you, you have to understand, with, with, with Promise, yes, there were back doors, doors put in it. But the software it's, itself, it was constantly, like, updated. It never disappeared. Mm. It just grew stronger. And maybe they gave it different names, but it never went away. Yeah. Hanson sold it and that's what that's why they said it was the most damaging security breach because it was promised and they and he sold it to russian mobsters not even the government sold it to mobsters for a couple million dollars and they turned around and what did the mobsters do with it as reported in the washington times in june of 2001 that russian gangsters sold the promise software to one Osama bin Laden <laughs> so so he could use the financial aspect of it so he could see what investigations were going on and he could hide his money Wow so he had the promise software in the summer I was just telling my brother this story well, the other day was televised that was on the TV back yeah, then the day September 11, 2001. See, I didn't know he had it until that day. You know, I watched the towers go down, stand outside my house, I'm like, oh, it's horrible. You know, I go in, turn on the TV, and I know, of course, the ticker's there and all this information is coming across. And it's, it mentions Osama bin Laden 
and the promise in the middle of all that craziness and all that information on that ticker about that day you see Osama bin Laden has access to the promise software and I'm like holy crap I'm like what the hell is going on and, just, and you're talking now you go into BCCI Frank this all everything connects BCCI, right? Banks, uh, Bank of Credit and Commerce, developed in the 70s. It pretty much became a bank, the CIA's bank. That's what it was. And it was used to uh, fund covert operations. All right, never mind weapon deals, drugs, money laundering. It is the dirtiest bank in the history of the world. You know, in our world, it's known as the Bank of Crooks and Criminals. That bank has ties to everybody. That's one. That's probably one of the reasons Casalau they killed him because he was digging into that. Uh, that bank, one of the law firms that represented that bank, was the Rose Law Firm. Does that ring a bell with you? No. Hillary yeah. Clinton's law firm. Vince Foster. All connected to BCCI. Where do you think they were laundering the money from the sales of Promise? Through BCCI. Wow. This, so it it just goes through. I mean, you're talking Promise was in Iran Contra, uh, October Surprise, Michael uh, Michael Riconosciuto. I mean, poor, poor Danny Casalaro, man. When you're when the guy that hired you is ex-NSA and your main source is like a CIA spook like Michael Riconosciuto, who you actually give the nickname Danger Man to, that was his name for him, was Danger Man. How long do you think you were going to last, man? And he lasted one year. And they would just, so you got, he got involved in the middle of like this, like a spat between intelligence agencies and ex-intelligence uh, officers who were giving them information, never mind the Wacken Hunt Co Corporation and, the, and the, the Cabazon Indian Tribe Reservation where they were doing weapons training and, and that's where they did the in-store back door was on that property. It led to, I mean, the murders started in 81 and never stopped. Never stopped. It's like it's like it's like you guys. Right. It's like you guys are, are putting together the timeline for a uh, a mob war. You know, you think it, you say <laughs> so you, you get all that, these. That, uh, that's exactly what it, it, it's like. It, it was like an intelligence mob war, man. It was, and poor yeah, Danny. You, yeah, you know that scene in Casino where where Joe Pesci is going around shooting everybody. Yeah, <laughs> and, they're, and they're playing the music. That, that was eighty one through like ninety two. <laughs> yeah, this is this is like this is like right after uh, a, a, a Michael shot Salazzo and uh, and and the, and the cop. <laughs> it's just like right after it just he has to go. Uh, man, I mean, people tried people try like blowing the whistle on this. Like Frank, when I'm telling you, they when they clean house, they clean house. It wasn't just like. Hey, we're going to make this look like an accident. No, no, no. That just went by the wayside when it came to promise. Uh, so you had Fred Alvarez, 
that was he was probably the first that was probably the first that was a triple homicide alvarez was the like one of the chairmen of the cabazon indian tribe and he tried blowing the whistle on what was going on there with whack and hunt with guys like michael reconosciuto doing all testing all types of weapons working on inslaw on the night they were going to give the information to somebody all three of them there's three people whacked alvarez bolger and patricia castro who was just in the wrong place at the wrong time she was uh alvarez's girlfriend like just three people just kill them and and then i mentioned this name on your show in the past anson nigg uh financial times reporter him and Casolaro knew each other. Now, whether they were working on the same the same story per se, see, Danny Casolaro was he was a journalist, but that's not what he was. He wasn't he wasn't a true journalist. He was he started off a journalist, and then he kind of started writing books, and then he kind of got back into journalism because he needed the money, and he, I think he messed around with a he owned a computer, small computer company for a time. And just through, you know, he needed some cash, and then somebody, one of his IT guys said, hey, you should talk to this guy, you know, Bill Hamilton. He said he's got a story. You used to do journalism, right? And that's how he got involved, just, just like that. Just through a fluke. And then Hamilton shows him Michael Reconosciuto's uh, memo about what went down, and he got hooked, and it blew his mind. And he decides that he's going to write this book. And then the more he talks to Michael Reconosciuto, and starts, you know, and then Alan Standoff, uh, an NSA whistleblower, he gets in touch with, and he gets in touch with another guy, Ian Spiro, another ex-spook, and they're just telling them all this stuff. And it's that's why he went in a million different directions because Michael Reconosciuto was like, hey, you remember October Surprise, right? 1980, you know, keep the hostages there so Reagan can get elected. Yeah, I'm the guy that gave $40 million to the Iranian officials. Hmm. So it was all like cloak and dagger stuff. And then, you know, talking about Iran-Contra. And then, and then you can go to Barry Seal with that story. It all connects. Now what about so anyway? Anson, no, go ahead. No, I'll, well, well, if you're going, if you're going to conclude, go right ahead. Anson, Anson Nick, the Financial Times reporter. He was also he was trying to do a tie-in between BCC, BCCI, the U.S. Justice Department, Promise, and the Cabazon Indian Tribe, and he tried to track down that, like the head of security of special projects at the Cabazon Indian Reservation. He tracked this, uh, an individual to Guatemala, and next thing you know, found dead in a bathtub, shot, Anson dead. Uh, there was another guy, Moiler, out of London, same thing, tried to work on BCCI, Promise Justice Department. They found him hanging, and that bank is still that's that that's, that bank is still rocking and rolling. No, 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 no. Okay, that that bank that bank went by the wayside, but it, it had to. I mean, <laughs> that, that was like literally a CIA creation. 
through Pakistani intelligence, and it was just used a fiction. There was a movie called called The International with Clive Owen, and I can't think it came out in the '90s, and it's based on, and. As one reviewer wrote, it's a good movie, but I have to knock it because uh, you know no bank would be you know be able to do this. The movie was loosely based on what BCCI was doing. Mm. They just turned it into it was it, they were just one of the filthiest banks ever, and yeah, it got shut down because it got exposed. Now, when so you they, they, when they, you guys were when, you guys were getting started. Uh, it was it was the Franklin scandal that really that really you know pulled you guys into the work the line of work, and um, was did with, with all this popping up along the way, promise or any kind of uh, when you get into uh, the greater octopus kind of uh, kind of stories. Um, what about an overlap with that? Now, have you ever found any? Uh, have you ever over the years, uh, even through what has been publicly reported? Overlap. Well, we see, we see the connections to, of course, Maxwell, the Maxwell family. That is, that's in line with you know Franklin scandal type stuff, uh, as as much as anything else. And Franklin branches out to, I mean, everywhere else. So, uh, yeah, I, I can see how it doesn't matter. You, you, there's there's more than a few ways that you can start connecting the dots. But um, how how along that 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 line of of uh, blackmail human trafficking have you seen anything that's been directly linked to that other than the maxwell thing well i mean i know Casalau was was working on stuff with kids but like i said he got thrown into so many different directions in a span of one year yeah that because you know, I remember when I when I first came to the realization of what the hell was going on in this world. You know, I was young, so it's I started it started going on me 18, 19, and then by the time I was 20, next thing you know, I'm involved in Franklin. So I can't even imagine what happened because, and I'm doing my own research. Danny Casalaro was with spooks surrounded by them, and they're just feeding him all this information. <laughs> His head must have exploded because, yeah, I did. I I dabbled in, in certain with more than just what I was doing, like uh, with kids back in the early '90s. I tried dabbling in, in, you know, in politicians, but that just deemed it was it it, it was no good. It, it, it would always backfire on me. You, you can't bring them down. Hmm. So I had to, you know, I had to just kind of just figure out a way to focus on one one avenue and control it to the best of my ability. That way I could trust who I was working with to avoid the, you know, the inevitable pitfalls of, you know, the people that I idolize, you know, like uh, Gary Caradori, uh, Danny Casolaro, uh, 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 Gary Webb. You know, if they don't if they don't kill you, they ruin you. So just focus on one avenue and just stay with it. Focus and on try the, not to go uh, too. 
on the low hanging fruit, so to speak. But you can't go yeah. up the ladder too much. Yeah, you can't go up. You can't go too high up the ladder. Cause so you, you're not going to survive it. So Jim, did did uh, I, I I probably asked you this before, but it's been a long time, and I forget the answer. Did did Frank pull you into this, or were you guys equally interested in in getting into this kind of investigative work, or did he say, Jim, I I need I need some help. You got to come along for the ride. No, my brother started showing me stuff um, shortly after I got out of my military service, and I kind of just felt like I was like, yep, <laughs> he's spot on. Um, so we kind of joined together, so to speak, and you know went from there but I would say my brother kind of was was uh, kind of showing me uh, some different um, cases and different articles and stories and I was like hmm yeah I, I think you're spot on and um, so yeah then we just kept going well you so, got, yeah I would say my brother kind of led the way in that regard you, you guys have have discussed some very I mean, uh, you know, Frank just said if they don't kill you they ruin you and I mean you you guys are alive and well um, I wouldn't say that any of you are ruined, but at the same time, nope. you've t- you've once again, lo- 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 you have to get the low-hanging fruit, Frank. Lo- you, you, you go after the guys that you think that are that can be touched. Now, that's what I'm talking about. That's, that's you, the, e- even with the, even with the low-hanging fruit and the, and the, the you know the the, the 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 stories that you work from the ground level, you have called in before and and told some stories where it was it, there were life and death stories. So even though that you weren't you weren't going for A-listers and just trying to do what you could where you could, uh, there's some especially your story from the deep south about. Um, oh yeah, it's, it's like you know yeah the Arkansas story. I still you know like I told you back then, I still feel bad about what happened to Officer Mike. You know, once again, nothing happened to me. Now, I could have pushed it. I had a tape, and I could have went down there and tried to make some noise, but how long would I would have lasted? I wouldn't have. That's why I burned the tape and tried to forget about it. Mm. And really didn't talk about it for decades. <laughs> what was I gonna do with it? Now, you know, unlike others, you know, who trust the FBI, you know, I had people email me after that story saying, you're a fool. Why didn't you just go to the FBI with that? Yeah, how would that would have worked out for me? The FBI with powerful people in a town I'm not familiar with, that I don't even know who they are, that were butchering kids on a tape. The cop that I was working with got shot in the head. Yeah. How's that going to work out for me? It would have worked out like the FBI interview with the Sarnev brother's cousin. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Would he take the samurai sword off the wall? See, they, 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 I'll tell you, this this goes in this goes into my my uh, another reiteration of that conversation I had about a week ago or so. So, what what is the parallel economy for justice? I mean, you, you, and, and, and as a uh, and a prerequisite for that conversation, I had a a story um, a night that we did. It might have been a Thursday, three or four weeks ago, when I asked. I asked about controlled opposition, and, and, and the, the, sub, the subtext there was, who do you trust? If you had a story, if you had a story that you knew was just, it was airtight, who are you going to go to? Uh, are, are you going to go to the feds? Are you going to go to a certain journalist? Who are you going to go to if you were going to actually have something, something positive happen? And, uh, 
and, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess you can't say that you well, wouldn't well, lose. Frankly, Go ahead. The information's con- controlled, right? I mean, you remember that um, the journalist who, uh, the anchor who had the one to do the story on, uh, I think it was on Epstein, and they squashed it. They were just like, nope, you're not, you're not showing that. ABC, you're talking you know, about. You're not gonna. Yeah, ABC. They squashed it's, the. So, they so they squashed so, Vanity Fair too, and there's a lot that was squashed leading yeah. up to 2016. I mean, the only way you could go was to disseminate information to absolutely alternative sources. I mean, you know, yeah, alternative media. And even then, how far can you go with it? I don't know. You, know, you have to be careful within the alternative media section. You know, because we all know, Frank, you're a controlled opposition, right? I, uh, of course. <laughs> I mean, listen, you, you go, you, you survive long enough, you become the controlled opposition. But, but, but the thing, but, but, you know, going back to what you were saying before, if we're going to start just, you know, just a reference to beginning and tie this up with Promise back in the 80s. And I said, well, Jim, can you please explain to us what data collection in the 1980s looked like, especially since people were not inputting data into a public sphere like the internet like we were even maybe a decade and a half later so um you know uh it, but even in a in a time where we were considered bronze age compared to where we are right now in the 1980s that's like that's the bronze age technologically to compared to where we are right now and still they were they managed through this system to expand a a, a, a dissident a dissident list from 100,000 people to nearly 3 million. Uh, can, can you, uh, so just to that point, what the hell kind of files are there on how many Americans at this point, now that we are over, you know, three decades into everybody spewing every last thought they ever had into the internet, whether it be a public or a private message, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's frightening that, that, um, that, that the, there, the, there's the, a lot of names on a lot of lists. Frank, do you remember that? You remember that meeting we went to? Where was it in Philadelphia? Oh, I, yeah, I was just thinking about that today, man. Yeah, yeah now, was that was that was that Waco slash? But that was uh, that had to do with uh, that was no, militia. man. That was that was the leader of the militia of Montana. That was Montana. John Trockman, dude. Yeah, when we, we we went down there, but you know, we, when we found out kind of more of their ideology, we were like. Mm kind of some racist components there and but when when we went in there there were people taking photographs of you right in your face oh yeah they were fbi dude it was they were right now i was like they weren't they weren't hiding themselves they were right there and they were taking pictures of you as you went in shit so you we were looking at each other we said we're we're on that list that's been a long time but you're right frank the way they're able to acquire information now and gather information now about every thought, communication, email. There isn't there is no anonymity anymore. Anything you put out there, dude, they're looking at it. And if Think you're about- and if you're anti this or anti that, you're on a list. That's think about it. Just think about the progression, right? What promise was okay, ADEX in the sixties and seventies, right? Then promise, then artificial intelligence. Even back then just makes this thing into a monster and for data collection and just it's scary right but it's all about it needs information right it needs information about individuals it keeps getting updated and updated now you're in the 2000s right what comes out in the 2000s 
where where you can get that information willingly. You can get people's family members, all their friends, where they go, what they do after work, Facebook. People just signed up and put their whole life out there. Everybody yeah. they know. Yeah. What they do. And where do you think that got fed into? You don't think Facebook was working with the government? You're crazy. They took everybody's information on Facebook and probably put it into an updated version of Promise. Forget about one list. They got lists upon lists, subsets of lists. Yeah, yeah it's frightening, man. It's, it, it's something. It's something you realize way too late. You realize it way too late. I, I hope I can. I can spare Aurora that um, by by letting her know what the internet really is. Uh, as as she gets older, because man, what I would do to have somebody have uh, told us what what we were feeding into, I'd love to have really limited my input. Yeah, no kidding. You know, in hindsight, you look back and it's like probably should have kept. But you know what? <laughs> Once you're on it, you're on it. You know, you that's it. There's not a lot you can do. But you could help. Like you're right, future generations and saying, be careful what you put out there. You know, that's you want to keep uh, some information to yourself the best you can. And uh, I, I know we were trying, Frank, you said you were trying to bring it around to uh, to, to uh, a guest Frank had on? Yeah, on Monday uh, when Frank Ro- was doing his... Uh, Robin? What's her name? Robin. Yeah, Robin, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I, I was actually going to call in afterwards, but you, you, I don't think he took calls. But anyway, it's it's the technology that's been around much longer than we know of. I mean, there's artificial, do you think of artificial intelligence back in the 70s and like 1981? No, but it was there and they used it and they created something really bad with it and it's only grown since then. So we're decades and decades behind in what, in what the government really has. Do you, and what, when it comes to crypto, do you think it just came out of nowhere? Like who discovered, who came up with the technology for Bitcoin? Nobody knows. It's a pseudonym. What's like Nakato Mashamura or some kind of Japanese name. They don't know if it was one person. They don't know if it was five people. They don't know who created it. That screams intelligence. They put it out there so the public could get used to it because that is where we're heading towards yeah. the digital currency. The big banks think, are going to buy up the little banks. What's yeah, gonna happen. And eventually there will be a cataclysmic event. I don't believe it's going to be a bank run. I think it has to be a lot larger because it's not just us on this system. It's a world fiat currency system. So something's going to have to crash the whole damn thing whether it's a war, a nuclear war, something. But then, when they do implement it, it's over. She had it correct. It is enslavement. People are saying, oh, it's, it's Bitcoin and blockchain technology. It, it, it's, it can fight the Fed. It can give us freedom. No, you dummies. It's, it's your enslavement. You think those people didn't know there was an endgame when they created the system? They knew it couldn't last forever. They knew there had to be a next step, and this is it. Digital currency, whether it be 
five years from now, 10 years from now. Once they control your money and how you have access to it, it is. Freedom is dead, that's it. There's no, there's nothing left. They'll control everything you do, everything you say. Hey, Frankie, we didn't like what you said on your show last night. Hmm. We're gonna dock you $500. We're gonna prevent you from getting that. Just like that. Yeah, like in China. Yeah, just like in China. That's where we're heading. It's uh, so I don't, person, I don't, I don't, oh. On a, on a minor note, though, with uh, you know, I think it was Signature Bank. It was one of the banks that just went down recently. I thought I heard talking about world colliding. Um, I thought it was Barney Frank was the head of one of those banks. Yeah, was on the board. Yeah, you know, and you know, go go look up the history of Barney Frank for those of you that uh, aren't aware of uh, his male prostitute that uh, was living in his house, and there was a prostitution ring with uh, underage kids going on there with Barney Frank. And also, you know, just happened to be uh, Paul Bonacci's abuser from the Franklin scandal. Mm -hmm. Paul Bonacci accuses uh, Barney Frank directly. Of I, that. Di I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Barney Frank. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> prostitution ring running out of his house. And he had a place on the embassy row where Paul Bonacci says he was, that's where he was uh, abused many times. And one of them was Barney Frank. I, I'll tell you a real quick story about Barney Frank. When I said I dabbled in politics years ago, not only did I find you know Paul Bonacci, you know you had his, his words already on Barney Frank. I found two others back then. I tried to give it to every Boston newspaper. Said now you got three. All I did was get my phone tapped. I called the Boston Herald wanting to speak to one reporter, and then five minutes later my phone rings and it's a reporter from the Boston Herald. And he's like, yeah, I'm just calling you back. Uh, uh, so tell me everything you have. And I said, yeah, I got, you know, you already got, you know, Paul Bonacci's words, and then you got this guy and this guy. Same same dates. They're willing to talk. You can bring this guy down. He's like, okay, I'll get back. Let me talk to my editor. I forget to tell him something. I call back 10 minutes later and say, yeah, can I speak to, you know, Ron Johnson? I just talked to him. They're like, There's, Ron Johnson doesn't work here. There is no Ron Johnson. From that date, my phone was tapped for like two. Remember our phone calls back then? I, I remember that, yeah. Well, all you heard was quick, 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 yeah. quick, <laughs> for, for years. So how the hell, I, yeah. So I was like, that's it. Then I, I got phone calls myself, threatening phone calls. Hmm. And I'm like, man, if this guy's just a congressman. There's no stopping him. There's none. I took threats. I took threats over the phone, threats in person, over that. And I was like, "That's it. It's only what I can from now on. What I can control." But Frank, we know it's late. It's eight fifty-four. There's this one passage uh, of a book that I read many years ago in regards to Danny Casalato. I think it was maybe a passage that was going to open up a chapter to it. I don't even. I forget who even wrote it. But it always stuck with me, not just for Danny Casalau's story, but just for everything. And it went something like this. Just scratching at the tip of the surface that passes for this reality will, will unleash demons from the dark side of the truth. Hmm. It summed up, sums up Danny Casalau. Scratching. Scratching at the... Just scratching at the surface of Inslaw led to a year of craziness and his death.
Gary Caradori, uh, savings and loans, just scratching at the surface, turned into a you know nationwide pedophile ring. For us, the Randy case, just scratching at the surface of Boulder, showed you the darkness of that town that was going on long before that kid got killed, and so on and so forth. But that's all I got, Jim. Yeah, I'm going to leave it now, Frank. You know, that's pretty. You know, we're we're leaving it in a pretty bleak way, like you know. Oh, man, yes, wow. yes, indeed. Frank, you you always <laughs> talk. Well, I'm going to give hope because my brother and I are Christians, okay, and. I view this, you know, there is a spiritual component to all that's going on. You know, we talk about the occult a lot. There's, there's a spiritual component to this. And I go back to Psalm 2, right? And Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage, right? And, and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But it says here in verse for he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Basically, you are, he the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Basically, this is a spiritual battle, what's going on right now. And as futile as we see it, that, you know, what we can do, you know, the Lord looks at these rulers, the ones that are plotting all this wickedness, and he laughs at them. And he's, he's going to hold them into account. And, you know, it's at Christ's second coming. It, it, the more you look at the signs, it, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And you talk about, you know, I'm not one to look at all these end-time prophecies and revelation, what's the mark of the beast, but we're getting very close to a period of time where if we go into central digital currencies and they can actually withhold your funds about what you can, hey, here's your money, or maybe you don't have your money. Maybe you can buy something to eat, maybe you can't. You know, it speaks to that in Revelation. You know, for those that won't worship the beast, they cannot buy or sell. You know, so I give encouragement. The Lord is coming back. Jesus is going to ha is going to avenge, and there's time for repentance and faith in Him, and that's what I trust in the end. And as I try to do good, try to do His service, I look to Him for the ultimate victory in battle. So wonderful. That's why I implore others to go. Amen to that. Well, thank you, thank you guys both. I I'm still looking forward. Now I know that you guys are, you, you know, hundreds of miles separate all of us. Well, no, not not me and Frank, pretty much. But, but well, I'm but, like thirty minutes from you. Yeah, J Jim, hundreds of miles separates me from, from from the bottom of Maine. I know, I know. You're 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 just like in the wilderness. I, I don't know what the hell's what what, what you. I'm out there in the, in the frontier territory. But one but, day, uh, I'm telling you, Frank, go to Camden. That link I sent you, beautiful, beautiful. Okay. Well, I, I want I, I do want to go back to to Maine soon. I talk about it with Lauren all the time, but I don't know. You you got to let me know any time that you venture uh, south again because it'd be really great to have you both in studio one night. That'd be great to meet you guys. Oh, that be that be some fun stuff, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, that would be that, that would be that would be definitely a an interesting night for sure. No doubt. I'll pack hookahs that <laughs> night. I'll pack some hookahs. We'll have a good time. <laughs> All right, guys. You're gonna bring some Hawkins? Easy, that killer. Yeah, yeah, and, and, we'll, and we'll get we'll get some steak. We'll get some steak before or after. But listen, 
Um, in 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 the Zeller, in the Zeller.com, I know you guys are you guys are uh, you're updating it. It's a great way for people to get in touch with you, track all of your past work. Um, I have the link in the description. I hope that you get a, bo a boost in traffic and subscribership, and I can't wait to have you both back. Thanks for everything tonight. Hey, Frank, no problem. And, you know, we haven't really been on too, too much recently. We had a lot of stuff going on, but a quick Hamblin update. for the, you know, Hamblin actually is giving bail reconsideration. David Hamblin from hmm. Utah. On, on March 22nd, they're going to see whether he's going to get out on bail. You can believe that. Wow. The judge is for in the tank, $100,000. $100,000 bail for what this guy is charged with. Could you believe that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. The judge is in the tank. It's a political story because of who's involved. And I, I was shocked when there was an arrest, and now they can, they may let this guy out on freaking bail. They, they're already saying the witness has been threatened. So here we go. And it's and just nobody's talking about it. But yeah, anyway. Keep an eye on it. March 22nd is the bail is the bail hearing. So Bail hearing out there in Utah. In that case, keep an eye out. Okay, March twenty second, bail hearing in Utah. We'll see how that happens, and at the very least, we'll have you we'll have you drop back in for an update. And uh, and and as always, like we'll talk off air and keep in touch. Absolutely, Frank. Thanks for having us on. Good night, yeah, guys. Frank, thanks for the time. We always appreciate it. Man. No doubt. All the best to your families. We'll talk. We'll talk uh, shortly. Yeah, All right, Frank. Frank. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, Real quick, ladies and gentlemen, as we we roll up here, I, I want to do some super chats, and then I want to. I have one post I want to read through before we uh, we skedaddle. We'll we'll push past the end of the show a little bit, uh, a couple of minutes. Silky Johnson says, "Hola, Frank, baller shirt as always." I'm curious, what's your opinion on fact checking websites? I have a friend that swears by them. I'm more skeptical. They seem like propaganda and reinforce the narrative. Are there any good fact checking sites? I don't know of any. I don't know of any. Uh, maybe there are, but I don't. Um, I don't pay them any mind. E even if they, even at this point, if they were saying we're conservative friendly, I mean, I take note of things. There's, if you think of the alternative media, the alternative media seems like the the their their greatest driving, um, the the the, the their functionality is ninety percent telling the truth about all the nonsense, the lies that are being put out, out there um, as conservatives, whatever the hell that means, um, all all we're, we are is attacked and slandered and libeled. So fact-checking is a huge part of what we always do, but I hate that's another, another term that is just, ugh, I don't even want to fucking talk about it. You've, you've been fact-checked. Uh, it's just research. It's just research. And there's great resources for information, especially when it comes to history that, uh, that, that predates any of this mind virus. You can get great, old, reliable things, both digitally and printed. And uh, I also like following other people that do this work and have been classically trained. Um, and you you learn a lot about the world and us as a species and... It, it makes things a lot easier. We'll talk more about that tomorrow, though. Uh, it's going to be a good one tomorrow. Thank you for that. Let's see on Rumble. Everybody's up to date. We had wonderful, wonderful viewership tonight. Remember to go and like the episode tonight on Twitter and on Rumble, and, oh, on YouTube and on Rumble. And if you already liked it on YouTube, go to Rumble and like it again.
that we can get noticed by people on Rumble. Uh, thank you for the support all over the place. It, it really goes a long way, and I hope that you become sponsors so that we can continue to do things like this every night for many, many, many years. Healthy, happy years to come. You can find all that on quitefrankly.tv, the sponsor us section. Uh, I got this from Abe. Starting right now as we get off the air, tonight we go down the rabbit hole of the great martial arts legend, ladies' man, and super celebrity, Sensei Steven Seagal. So they're doing a, <laughs> they're doing a, uh, a Wednesday night rabbit hole for Steven Seagal. That should be fun. That's on QuiteFrankly.tv. If you're already there watching this, then, then it's all good. You just stay there. Curious Patriot says, Zells are always a great listen. Thanks, Frank. And a lot more from Curious Patriot. Thank you, Sean Joe. Thank you, Keith and Jay Jewel. It, um, she says, Frank, Cynthia Chung did a great deep dive into Huxley. Would be great to have her on book club. I'd love to have everybody on book club. I would love to have everybody. Um, let's get around to one thing real quick. This is from M. Hoy on Mastodon. It was a screenshot that I thought was really good. It was from December of last year, but I saved it for some night that we talk about privacy and why not end with this, even though the way that Jim ended was even better. But I want to delete this off of my desktop, so we'll do it anyway. Jim says this, whoever he is. Oh, no, 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 no. M. Hoy, whoever this guy is. I think it's important to repeat you don't have something to hide when you put your blinds on your windows or close your door when you're on the can or wear clothes. You don't have something to hide when you put clothes on. Privacy isn't about having something to hide. It's not about keeping secrets. It's about you being the person you who chooses what you reveal about yourself and when and to who. And the other word we have is dignity, your inherent dignity as a human being. Your privacy is the agency you have over your dignity. Everyone who ever said, if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear, is someone trying to bully you into giving them the power to strip you of your dignity at a moment's notice. On a whim, whenever it's convenient for them, that's the fight. It's not about privacy, it's not about secrets, and it never was. It's about power. That's what it comes down to with privacy. Remember that argument because it's the only argument that matters. It's the only argument that matters. In fact, I'll share that around as I get off here. And um, I, I welcome you all over to quitefrankly.tv to enjoy the rest of this evening's programming. I appreciate you. Thank you, guys and gals. I will see you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. We have another two-hour special that is going to be so good because we have a... Oh, man, I can't wait, we can't, can't wait to do this topic. Can't wait to do this topic at all. I can't wait. And it'll be seven before you know it, so I don't have to wait. That's the best part. Good night, ladies and gents. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film for a live studio audience. And now, our super chatter, starting with Silky Johnson, Cody, Stostube, our wonderful super chatter over on Rumble, that being... Where's your yeah, Larkstar444 and Cremo? It's great to have you all here. It's great to see you all going over to quitefrankly.tv for the rest of the night. I will see you soon.